uh, that, that we, we've noted that this chapter deals with some specifics as to what we say and the solemnity of the occasion, uh, how we do it. But in general, Christians should, should never, in, from the standpoint of being truthful, Christians should never have to take an oath or a vow, right? We should be marked, and we talked about this, by truthfulness as much as God is marked by truthfulness. And we can't attain to that in this life, but it should still be our standard, the goal to which we aspire, right? That which we strive to do, to be truthful. It's our duty. It's our duty. And we'll actually talk about, in connection with vows, a little bit about our duties to the Lord and what, as Christians, we're expected to do or what we're obligated to do. But we should be marked by truthfulness. We should be careful, always. Whether we're, in, in, the, in the solemn way of the oath or the vow, calling God into the transaction to specifically be a witness. God's a witness always, isn't he? But here we are invoking him to come and be a witness in, in oaths, and to judge us if we don't speak the truth or if we don't perform what we, under oath, said we would perform. Uh, we, we do that, so we, but we, we ought to be careful in what we say as if that was the case, as it were, every time we speak. Proverbs doesn't tell us without good cause to basically let our words be few, right? Better to listen than to speak as a general rule. So when we speak, we ought to be certain and truthful in what we speak. Now, our problem is with our old nature, right? Our old nature, we, we tend to be less than truthful. Uh, our, our father as we are born, our father is known to be a what? Our father, the devil, is marked by being what? Untruthful. Untruthful. A liar. And that's his reputation. And that's our reputation in the state in which we're born. We tend to follow the example of our father, to, to be like him as we seek as Christians to be like our Heavenly Father. So we've got this old nature that wants to lie. And we need then to, to try to do things or to, of necessity, have oaths and vows on given occasions, as it were, to overcome that old nature. Otherwise, we say it, it's true. That should be the way it, it would be. We say it and it's true. If you look at Ephesians, just, and, and these things come into play two or three times here, but Ephesians uh, 4.25 
if I'd get in Ephesians instead of Galatians. I looked at 425 in front of me, and that wasn't what I wanted. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, that's just the general standard. It doesn't have to do with oaths and vows. That's just the general standard. Colossians 3, 9 is, is the same, all right? So there is this emphasis on truthfulness, and we've, we've also noted, obviously, that there's a commandment that deals with being truthful. Not bearing false witness deals with truthfulness. Colossians 3, 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So it tells us why we're inclined to lie, the old man. And, and lying is part of the deeds of the old man. And we're told, you've got you to be aware of this. Again, we've got to be thinking. Just because we're now saved doesn't mean we're constantly, oh, we're going to speak the truth no matter what. Right? It just doesn't happen. Psalm 15, 1 through 3. Also, same thing. And I just pointed out just the, the emphasis in Scripture of being truthful. And obviously, again, with, with God giving it to us in one of the commandments, we, we obviously need to take note of it. 15, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. So truthfulness, right? Truthfulness impacts our relationship, our fellowship with God. And we'll see that some more as we go along. Truthful in our conversation and our thoughts and our meditations toward him. Truthful is this Psalms talking about and the other verses we looked at. Truthful with one another. Sometimes we may tend to try to be a little more truthful with God. There's a little more fear there. We know he knows our heart. Sometimes we're not quite as concerned. It's careful, uh, perhaps. Um, not that we're trying to lie to one another. I, I, I'd like to think that that's not the case with any of us. But sometimes we're just not quite as careful as we need to be. Sometimes the situation's not the most comfortable and we want to fudge a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the white lies, uh, the little white lies. And again... Um, we, we, we have to be careful there. And then remember the difference. The oath is, is between man and man, calling God as a witness. The vow, as we're going to see, is between you and God. Uh, so let me just look again quickly on page 600 at 22.4. We have one or two little things to finish up here. An oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words, without equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot oblige to sin, but in anything not sinful, being taken, 
It binds to performance, although to a man's own hurt. Nor is it to be violated, although made to heretics or infidels. Sometimes we excuse things. Well, they don't know the Lord or they're an infidel and, and they treated me badly. And even after I was truthful with them or told them this, uh, they, they still, they turned around and slandered me or twisted what I said. So forget it. I'm not going to fool with them. I'm not going to do what I said I would do because I don't think I have to now. Mm-mm. Not if you've given an oath. Not if you've given an oath. It's, uh, and, and some of our scripture references will, will bear that out, but... To run through our questions there on page 601, I give a word that characterizes that which is being sworn to. We talked about this a little bit. As to truthfulness, it needs to be irrefutable. If we are going to, under oath, speak the truth, it better be irrefutable. Otherwise, if if what you say can be refuted, it's not the truth. Right? And as to performance, as to performance, it needs to be irreversible. You take an oath or a vow to do something, there's no backing out. None. Now, carry that on over just into being truthful. As a Christian, shouldn't that not be our standard anyway? If I tell you the old, my word is my bond. If I tell you I'm going to do something, there should be no question that I'm going to do it. And regardless of what happens, I still need to do it. Even to my own hurt, if that's what happens. Number two is signing a document before a notary public, the taking of an oath. And the answer there is yes. A lot of times that's required in connection with the, the weightiness of the matter. Uh, I think I've given you the definition that I saw and looked up in, in one of the dictionaries I had. To swear is to make a solemn declaration invoking a deity. I mean, that conforms to what we've been talking about. It goes on here that doesn't conform, but invoking a deity or a sacred person or thing. Well, we don't hold to the person or thing, unless the person is God. But um, invoking the deity, when they add the other, uh, take that, that their understanding or their thought is, it doesn't have to be God, it can be, you know, somebody important or whatever, the the Pope or whatever, um, on that. So, uh, that that's, you know, the, the notary, when a, you sign something, I don't know if you ever pay attention, but a lot of times if it's being notarized, down there where the notary signs, it says, sworn to and subscribe before me this whatever day by whoever. All right? That's the oath part. Uh, and that's quite frequently in financial matters. Uh, can be in other things as well, but financial particularly. Now, number three, a little more practical, uh, and, and I just want us to think about it a little bit because, again, make. Dictate how you deal with the matter. 
Give some examples where a person can find himself in a conflict regarding an oath. And I would even go a little further regarding truthfulness. All right? But just some that you know. I don't know if anybody's ever been involved with any of it. If you have, I don't know about it, so I'm not picking on you. Um, But what about bankruptcy? Bankruptcy is a, a legal means of basically doing away with debt you've incurred. It's gone. Wiped out. You go and you ask for relief. For whatever reason, it could be because you got ill, maybe because you just lost your job. It could be any number of things. And the debt piles up. This debt can pile up in connection because you're trying to provide for your family. You got no job at the moment. And you got more expenses. Maybe even if you have a job, you got more expenses than you have income. And it gets bigger. And then the interest on that debt makes it harder. And it just keeps going. So, what do you think? Should a Christian ever declare bankruptcy? Now, I'm open for your thoughts. I don't, you know, different people, different persuasion. But, if you promise to pay, bankruptcy is your declaration. You're seeking to basically have the court say, you don't have to pay. That's the bottom line. Is that right? Now, a lot of people would say, well, but it's the, the debt collectors and all the, the, the stuff that goes on in connection with it, you know, drives, drives you mad, uh, harasses you. You know, some of them got pretty bad. They did pass some laws so they wouldn't be calling you at 2 a.m. in the morning, threatening to uh, take your house away from you or whatever. And sometimes that's what you're looking at, maybe losing your home. Now, in bankruptcy you can, what we call, affirm some debt. So if you don't have a lot of equity in your house, the bankruptcy court lets you say, you know what, I'm going to pay my house payment. And I want to keep my house and make the house payment. Maybe a car, maybe the same thing. So you can affirm some debt, but you just can't be preferential. And the reason with the house they've got your house as collateral. You don't pay that mortgage, you're going to lose the house anyway. But just think about it. I don't know if anybody's got any thoughts. If you do, let me know. But um, think about that. What about joint debt or guarantees? Where the person that you entered into this joint debt with doesn't perform on their part. Mom? When you were talking about uh, bankruptcy, are you talking about individuals or big corporations? Well, I was talking more about individuals, uh, where the individual's doing something. The corporation, quite frequently, would come into what I'm talking about right now. If, if a bank or somebody loans a, a corporation money and doesn't require a guarantee, which is rare, uh, then they know the corporation can go 
bankrupt and there's nothing and no one. It's an, it's a, it's an inanimate entity that, is, that has no soul as such. All right? So I'm talking more about the individual. But you got this nice corporation. That's, you're in business and you borrow money and you sign a guarantee on it. You got somebody at church or a friend in business, whatever and you sign as a guarantor or even a co-debtor with the understanding they're going to pay it all or you're going to pay 50-50. And then they just up and, for whatever reason, be it right or wrong, they don't pay. But you promised. When you guaranteed, you said, if they don't, I will. And the bank relied on what you said. If you had said, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that, most likely the bank would have said, uh-uh, we're not going to loan you the money. So now, you're on this debt. It happens, parents with children on cars. I don't know how many times I've seen that. All right? And, and the, the child, you know, first, first thing, they go out and wreck the car and there's, not enough money in the insurance to pay off the debt, but worse yet, they don't make the payments. And if they're not in your house, if they're out, you may not know they haven't made the payments until the cars, till, till you're talking to them, they, well, what happened to your job? Well, I lost my job. Well, why'd you, well, I don't have a way to get to work. Wait a minute, where's your vehicle? Well, the bank came and took it two weeks ago. The finance company came and repossessed it. All they do is show up at your house, and they've got a key, and they get in the car and drive it off. They don't knock on your door and say, we'd like to take your car. They just repossess it when you haven't made the payments. Now, if you're a guarantor or a co-signer, well, I'm not going to pay for it. If you, I mean, why didn't you say something? Well, this, this is in your lap that you say to your child. But it's not. It's square in your lap. And when you sign, you give the bank, the finance company, whoever it is, you give them the right, as it were, to come after you. They can sue you. They're not going to go after your child or after this person that has no money. If they had money, they'd been making the payments. So they come after you. Okay? You promised. But, but it's going to really make it hard for me to provide for my family. Maybe that would have been a good thing to think about before you promised, huh? But now, your family suffers a little bit because you promised. See, you can't excuse it because the folly of what you did brings hardship on yourself or even others who are relying on you. Leadership positions. It's where it can be really tough. Leadership positions that requires holding others or even ourselves being held to oaths taken regarding the office we're holding. 
Okay? God will hold President Biden accountable because he took an oath. He took an oath. He called God to witness and to judge him if he was not truthful as to the oath. And God will hold him accountable because he's broken that oath. One reason we need to pray for our leaders, all kind, civil, church, ministers, they don't preach the gospel if that they took an oath when they were ordained. If they don't preach the gospel, the truth of God, God will hold them accountable because they have lied to God and to the congregation over which they've been called to minister. They've lied to the, in our case, they've lied to the presbytery um, in, in who is the entity that ordains them. I think it's tough. Those are not enjoyable times. Elders, same thing. Parents, children. Say, but I, I never, I never took an oath. Well, you have the word of God that says this is what you're to do. If you don't do it, are you being less than truthful? Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, same thing. Okay, we get into vows, we get into oaths, uh, whichever you're, you're looking at, but you've got those situations. And we think kind of sometimes lightly about it, but it's pretty serious business. So be careful. John? John, back in the Old Testament, Well, John, I can't tell you what God was thinking when he did it. Um, you, you'll have to wait to glory and then you can ask him. But, um, you know, God, you get, into, you get into the inheritance that God gave, right? In, in, in the land of Canaan, every family had an inheritance, that's an inheritance given by God, right? And God basically, I think, is my take on it, God said, it, what I give, man can't take away. But I will give a time period. And if you recall, uh, again, I mean, it talks about hardship, if a man has to go, you know, sell his land or has to go um, put himself in bondage to, I mean, you had slavery as it were. And God basically, I mean, again, it's one of these thinking. See, everybody in Israel knew about the year of Jubilee. And so you entered into transactions with that knowledge. If you didn't, 
then if you were the person lending and you, you big sum and next year's the year of Jubilee, you're out of pocket. But not, not because you didn't know about it. Right? So, I mean, if, if we're, if you, certainly it wouldn't be anything like the bankruptcy. You tell a lender, now I'm going to file bankruptcy three years from now. You see how willing they are to make the loan to you. Doubt that they will. In fact, if you file bankruptcy three years ago and you're done with it now, four years ago, I think seven years is the time it stays on your credit, but you filed it three years ago and it's on your record, they're probably not going to make you a loan anyway. You did it once, maybe you'll do it again. And it's fair, and it's fair for the lender to think that, isn't it? That's why being truthful and making sure in being truthful that we know what we're talking about and we're able to do what we say we're going to do. Right? We need to stop and think. You don't just run headlong. Well, it'd be a nice thing to do. Sure it would. But when you do it, you better be saying, all right, if they don't perform, can I cover it? Is it going to make me break my word? And if it is, then you decline as much as you would like to do it. You don't do yourself or them any favors. You can sit down and talk to them and say, let's see if we can find another way to get this done. But we need to stop and think. And that's the whole idea of the oaths and vows. It's, it's a more solemn promise. It still deals with truthfulness. And all we're saying is, God says, if you're going to do this, you better stop and think about it. And know what you're talking about. Know what you're promising and know whether you can do what you're promising. And you've got in your proof text, interesting, and uh, if you take time, you can go back and read the, the passage in 1 Samuel about David and Abigail. David, you know, Nabal wouldn't provide them some food, and David says, fine. I'm going to wipe out Nabal and his whole house. They won't be a line, there won't be a, one, a male child of Nabal, Nabal or any of his children, male. There won't be one left living by in the morning. But wipe them out. And Abigail learned of it, and she went flying. And she got to David, and she talked. Now, that was, David's made an oath. Right? This... There won't be one left in the morning. So now he's got an oath calling God to judge him if he doesn't perform. It was an oath he never should have made. Number one. And Abigail comes and she talks to him and, you know, why, why David, God has anointed you to be king. Why do you want to mess things up? Nabal was foolish in not helping you. But you're the anointed 
king of Israel. You need to stop and think. Right? Abigail amazes me. I mean, she knew all this. And he hadn't been openly made king yet. Been anointed. But Abigail, you read it and you wonderful woman. Love the Lord, I think. And the Lord used her. And she came and talked to David, and David said, thank you, in my words. You know, and you have, you have intervened, and you have helped, you've prevented me from doing something stupid. And David did not fulfill his oath. All right? Now, what's the problem? Because not fulfilling your oath is what? Isn't it a sin? Because you lied. So David committed a sin in not fulfilling his oath. But if he had fulfilled his oath, what would he have done? Committed a sin. Killed people without just cause. A lot of people. So even though there's sin, no matter which way he went, you go back and you say, whoa, God would not be pleased here. So I'm going to break my oath. He won't be pleased. I get judged for that. Why? Why? Well, wait a minute. You, you, you did the right thing, didn't you? Yes, you did in that respect. But you did a right thing there by not killing, but you'd done a wrong thing back when you made the oath foolishly. David was going to kill people because they wouldn't give him some food. You know, that's pretty serious. Thought about it. David, we talked about David, the sweet psalmist of, of Israel, and yet David was the warrior king, right? You know, I mean, he, he toted around Goliath's sword. So he apparently wound up being a pretty strong and healthy guy. And, you know, I think sometimes we think of him as being a bit of a, you know, he didn't have any dirt under his fingernails, as we'd say in the country. Uh, didn't, didn't get out there. He wasn't rough and tumble. I think David was anything but it. I think he was as rough and tumble as they come. Which makes it to me even more amazing that he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. Jordan? not a valid oath in that it's an oath that should have been made. Correct. Okay. That, that, that I guess is the question I have. I'm not, I'm not questioning that David sinned here in the, in the matter of the oath. But it seems the matter of the sin was in the very making of the oath, not in the failing of the oath. Well, I, th yeah, I, I think 
the point, and I, I, I see where you're coming from, and I don't have a problem with that. Because, yeah, it certainly was wrong when he made it. And without you opening his eyes to the fact that it had been a wrong motion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That changed Yeah, good point. Certainly, certainly, yeah. Yeah, even after warning, God came and let him know. Good point. God came and let him know through Abigail he had made a foolish oath, a wrong oath. And he repented and didn't do what he said he was going to do. Okay? So, but, but read that, and when you do, just know, look at what Abigail's doing. You don't know much about her, but just look at things she said. There's one phrase in there that caught my eye when she's talking to him and she says something to the effect of, may your soul be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. Now you stop and think about that and meditate, that, meditate on that for a while. And again, I'm close. May your soul be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. And the way we realize that is when we're in Christ and Christ is in the Father. And we are bound in that bundle of life. It's amazing. And then the second uh, footnote three on page 602, or the, the proof text, the Ezekiel text there has to do with kind of two kings. Um, the seventeen sixteen, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely in the place where the king, that was Nebuchadnezzar, the king dwelleth, that made him king, that's Zedekiah. So Nebuchadnezzar gave Zedekiah possession in, uh, in Israel, whose oath he despised, that is, Zedekiah despised the oath he made and gave to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sure, to be loyal and to fulfill his duties. But he despised it, and whose covenant he break, even with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. He made an oath. He didn't keep it. He rebelled, as it were, against Nebuchadnezzar. And God says, you made an oath, and you broke it. And you're going to die. I'm going to judge you. You know? You... you you don't think it's a serious matter? And it goes on, seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, when lo, he had given his hand and hath done all these things, he shall not escape. Pretty serious. You got Joshua there, where uh, they were going in, they'd you know, defeated Jericho and men from Gibeon came to them, you know, put on old clothes and whatnot. Gibeon is about, roughly, I figure, about 10 or 12 miles from Jericho, right? So here they come. We, we've been traveling. We, we are coming. We, we, wanna, we want to seek peace with you. And you know, our bread's molded, our clothes are worn out, whatnot. We've been traveling so, so far, so long. And they were one day maybe away from Jericho. But Joshua said, fine. 
We won't destroy you. We won't destroy you. Gave an oath. People weren't happy. Is what the text is telling you about. How, how serious does God take oaths? Saul killed the Gibeonites. Right? Saul killed them. And the Lord held him accountable for breaking the oath that Joshua had made. Quite some time afterwards. But you can read about that in the, the Lord said, you know, you broke the covenant. It was an oath, and I don't take lightly the breaking of oaths. I'm going to hold you accountable because you asked me to. In the oath, be my witness and be my judge. And you see God being the judge for breaking oaths. All right. 22.5, we'll, we'll read it here and make a couple, a couple of things I want you to think about um, in this. We, now we get to a vow. Vow is of the like nature with a promissory oath and ought to be made with a like religious care and to be performed with a like faithfulness. So a vow, a promissory, a, a vow falls, as it were, within the oath realm. Oaths are bigger than vows. But a vow is a promise. An oath could be a promise. But a vow is between you and God. The oath is between you and man. It's a difference. So now, you aren't calling God to be a witness. You're calling God to be a party to the transaction with the vow. All right, God, I'm telling you, I'm promising. And you be my judge if I don't perform. I'm promising to you, if I don't do it, I've broken my word to God. And that's the difference. My question, number one, on page 603, the difference between a vow and an oath. Man and man, as to truthfulness and promise on an oath, Calling God to be the witness and judge of vows between man and God. But God's now a party. Both of them invoke God's direct involvement. And again, as Christians being truthful, God's seeing us and is going to deal with us as to our truthfulness, whether we've used an oath or a vow or if it's just what we said. So we need to be careful. My question number two is a vow as opposed to an oath any less binding on a person? And certainly not. Uh, we might even feel like it's more binding. And it's not that. They're equally binding. They're equally binding. It's just I think we would be a little more fearful if we... We, we're, we're more likely to be fearful about lying directly to God than with each other. Shouldn't be, but I think that's human nature. Now, 
got something I want you to think about. When you're saved, what are the vows you make to God in connection with that salvation? Now, I want to suggest, you, you may not speak these vows, but I just want you to think about it. God, if you will save me, then I will. And what obligations do we then have in connection with our salvation? To be truthful with God. Right? Psalms talk a lot about vows. And we'll talk about some of the verses. I'll give you some of the references. But think about it. Uh, connection with your salvation. I hadn't thought about it myself. Working on this and, you know what? When you fail to pray, do you break a vow to God? When you fail to study God's word, do you break your vow to God? Think about it. Think about it. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll stop. Lord, we're grateful to you for the practicality of your word, for the importance of your word in helping us live our lives day by day. Lord, how we interact with those about us. Sometimes very simple things, and yet... Your standards are coming into play. The duties, as we understand your word, teaches us the duties you require of us. So, Lord, help us to be careful, to understand, and to try to, to do the things you require of us. Lord, we need the help of the Spirit to do it. We're weak and feeble. We fail so often. But, Lord, may it be the desire of our heart to be truthful, to be truthful with thee, to be truthful with one another. Bless us in the remainder of this day. It's thy day. Help us to be truthful in how we keep it. Help us to be truthful in our worship. Lord, help us to be truthful in our fellowship. Make it a good day, we ask. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.